All right, let's take a second to pray here, and then we'll go into the Word, okay? Pray with me. Father, please help us during this time to lean in, God, to what you have to say with us, especially, Lord, from this, this passage of Scripture, God. Help us all to lean into what you would have to say to us, God. Teach us, Lord. Open our eyes to wondrous things in your Word. And I pray that coming out of this, God, even this whole time together, speaking so much about church and about what it is to be a part of your church. And I pray that you help us to live it out for your glory. God, do all the work of the heart that has to happen, Lord, the things that you have to do where you work on our hearts, God, where you change us. Please do that. And we ask you to do that, whatever it takes to make us more like you, Lord. Whatever it takes, God, for us to be conformed to your image, please do that. And God, I pray that we'd be a church to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've taken a, a short break from what we typically do as far as walking through books of the Bible to talk about some truths about the last couple of weeks and this week and the next week, truths about, particularly about the local church and also about some changes that we're looking uh, to make together as a local church. Over the last two weeks, Dustin has talked through Matthew 16, a passage there and a passage in Matthew 18. If you, especially if you are a member of Grace Community Church and you, uh, for some reason, had to miss those teachings, I exhort you and plead with you to go back online and listen to those. I want us all as a church to grab hold of all these things that we're going after so that we as a church as a whole can move forward together. So those are online. If you haven't heard them, please go back and listen to them. Um, let me say a few things from the front end before we get into our passage today. Um, an analogy that I like this, uh, uh, that concerning church membership and church discipline is the idea of a front door and of a back door. The front door of church membership and the back door of church discipline. There was, a, I believe, a, a kind of a seeker-sensitive uh, uh, megachurch uh, pastor that was asked something or, or wrote something about church growth, about how the church grows. And he, he's known for this comment, which is, well, you got to open wide the front door and close the back door. And of course, he's speaking metaphorically as they make it really, really easy for people to get in and make it very uh, difficult for them to have any path to leave. And he's talking about these strategies for growing the church. Well, Mark Dever, Mark Dever rebukes that thought in a book that he wrote, and he's quoted as saying this. He says, I think rather biblically, you need to guard carefully the front door and open the back door. And he's speaking biblically. Uh, these are metaphors about guarding the front door of who comes in to church membership and opening the back door, obeying what God's word says about church discipline as it is needed in the local church. I tend to agree much more with what Mark Dever is saying there. And I hope after the last couple of weeks that most of you do as well. So last couple of weeks, we've gone through the front door of church membership. We've talked about that out of Matthew 16. We've talked about the back door of church discipline, Matthew chapter 18. And today I want us to talk about what we do in between those doors, right? And, and, and obviously I'm speaking metaphorically, not these particular doors, but the doors. If you are a part, if you've come in membership of the local church at Grace Community Church, what does our life look like together? 
Those are some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Meaningful church membership. What does our life look like together? And we're going to be talking about that out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Now, before we go into that passage, I just want to mention some truths to all of us here that I hope by this point we've at least been introduced to these truths. Okay, these are just, just a review for a moment. And I want us to be solid in these truths, established in these truths, convinced of these truths. So the things that I'm about to mention, four things to you. And as I mention these things, I want to encourage you that if there's any kind of haziness in your mind that you're not understanding, you're not picking up what these things actually mean and, and, and whether or not it's actually biblical, I encourage you, do not sit in that haziness. But rather, go with us together as a church and let's get these things solid in our minds, clear in our minds, the things that I'm about to mention to you. Uh, whatever you need to do, if you need to come talk to me, you need to talk to somebody else in the church, uh, you need to read a book, I'll give you some book suggestions, anything like that. But these following truths, I want to encourage you to be rock solid on so we can move forward together. Number one is this, it's just simply the importance of the local church, just the great importance of the local church. Biblically, the local church is just not another event or another activity in the life of a busy Christian. But rather, the local church is called the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is called God's flock, which Jesus purchased with his own blood. The church is called the body of Christ. This is an importance on the local church. I want you to see that. That's number one. Number two is this. The importance of church membership and church discipline. The importance of church membership and church discipline. Essentially, it comes down to this. It comes down to clarity. Clarity over who is in and who is out. And I don't believe biblically most anybody here would disagree that we need to have clarity on who's in and who is out when it comes to the local church. One very quick scripture proof of that would be Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17, it speaks about leaders of the local church. It says leaders of the local church, they need to, they watch out for their souls as those who must give an account. Now, if you think about that, put yourself in the shoes of a church leader. Put yourself in the shoes of a pastor. And that verse just said, you are going to give an account for some soul somewhere. And if that's true, then we need to know that there needs to be clarity on who's in and who's out. You imagine that from the perspective of a church leader. You need clarity on who is it? Who are those group of people? I'm not going to give an account for everybody's soul, right? But I'm going to give an account for some people's soul. And it's that flock which is among you as it speaks about in 1 Peter. And so what, what I'm getting out of here is that is ultimately in church membership and church discipline, what we're going after is clarity. And that's just one scripture proof of that. Now to obtain that clarity, it might be easier or more difficult depending on where you are in the world, right? If we're all meeting uh, at 2 a.m. in a cave in a hostile country at the risk of our lives, at the risk of our children's lives, it's going to be a little bit easier for that particular pastor or group of pastors to come to clarity on who's in and who's out, right? You agree with that? But when you live here in the Bible Belt and there's a church on every corner and there's all these messed up ideas about what church membership even means, even biblical conversion, period, then you're going to have to work a little bit harder to get clarity on who's in and who's out of the local church. And that's what we call church membership, church discipline. Everybody clear on that? So I want you to be rock solid in that. Number three is this. Number three I want you to be convinced of. These are all review things. A foundational understanding of the church 
that it is an embassy of the kingdom of God. Foundational understanding of the local church that it is an embassy. It's an embassy of the kingdom of God. And I'm getting this from the language that was taught in Matthew 16, Matthew 18. He says to the church that you have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You have the key, the kingdom of heaven, and you have these local churches which are embassies through, spread out throughout the earth. They've been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Embassies are there. So I want you to just think with me about that for just a moment. Let me just say a few things that maybe might help give some clarity there. Think about King Jesus has a kingdom. King Jesus has citizens in his kingdom spread out all over the earth. And these citizens of his heavenly kingdom, they group themselves into embassies, which are local churches. And each one of these embassies have the authority to affirm who is truly a citizen of a kingdom of God. That's church membership. Or to disaffirm who is not truly a, a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's church discipline, at least the end those, the last stages of church discipline. I think about it like this. We're going for clarity. Imagine Christians all over the planet, Christians all over the world. We're all citizens of a kingdom that is not of this earth, all under King Jesus, the supreme ruler. Each Christian commits himself to a particular local Church, which is an embassy. And that local church is like, it's like they stamp their passport. Yes, that's a bona fide, real, genuine Christian, citizen of the kingdom of God. That's part of the role, Matthew 16, of the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose, as has already been taught. One more way to think about it here. One of the local church's roles is to draw a line, to draw a circle around those whom they affirm as truly in Christ Jesus, truly converted. That's church membership. And when somebody begins to live in such a way, an unrepentant sin, continued unrepentant sin, and they live in that way, they begin to show themselves to not truly be converted. Then church discipline is when they are removed from that circle. Church membership, church discipline, we function together as an embassy of the kingdom. So that was number three. I want you to be rock solid and that foundational way of thinking about the local church. And number four is this. This is where it lands on us all. The responsibility to exercise this authority is for the church. It ultimately does not land on church leaders. Ultimately, it is the church's role. It's the church's ultimate authority to exercise the keys of the kingdom, to, to walk in these authorities and responsibilities that I'm talking about. It's the church as a whole. Matthew 18, tell it to the church. It's the church that removes somebody and disaffirms them actually being a member of the kingdom of God. So it's the church's ultimate responsibility to, to guard the front door of membership and to open the back door of church discipline. So what that means is membership at Grace Community Church is, is it's less, it's a whole lot less like joining a club. Membership of Grace Community Church is a lot more like getting hired for a job. Like you have a job to do. If, if it's, many people call this congregational, congregationalism. If, this, if we are congregational in the way we go after this authority of the local church to exercise this authority, the keys of the kingdom, then that means each person here is a member of Grace Community Church. You have a job to do. That's a responsibility and an authority that's been put in your lap as you come together with the church as a whole. 
So, if any of these things seem, those four things there, four truths, if any of these things seem unclear to you, I want to encourage you to make every effort to get clarity on these issues, okay? This is what, as we move forward, and next week we'll be talking about, this will be the last time that we talk about some of these local church things, at least in this series, is next week. And I want you to be moving forward and understanding these things with clarity. So today, we're going after, while we're in the midst of those doors of church membership, what does meaningful, real meaningful church membership look like biblically? We're doing that out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. And uh, next week, we'll talk more about the changes that we're looking to make in the way we think about church membership as a church. Okay, So we'll talk about that more next week. Everybody with me as we move into this passage? I just put a lot on you. You got it? If you missed the number there, just look on with Jake. I saw him writing over there, so he'll, he'll give you the notes. All right. Everybody turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Oh, I love God's Word. Let's let God's Word speak to us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Get your eyes on it. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the Word of God. Let's talk first about the one another's that are here, okay? So when I think about us, how we live together as a local church, I think often about these one another's. And you have three of many one another's in the Bible represented here. You have three of them here. Let's identify them. Verse 8, it says, keep loving one another. So verse 8, we have love one another. Verse 9, we have show hospitality to one another. In verse 10, we have serve one another. So love one another, show hospitality to one another, and serve one another. These are three of many one another's in God's word. Let me just give you kind of a splattering of some of the other one another's in the scriptures. Wash one another's feet, John 13, 14. Be kindly affectionate to one another, Romans 12, 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Instruct one another, Romans 15, 14. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Exhort one another daily. Hebrews 3.13 Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. James 5.16 And I didn't even give you all of them. But you have all these one another's in the scriptures. And, and today we're looking at these three in 1 Peter. So I, wanna, I, want, I want to say a few things that helps God the way we think. When we hear the phrase one another... I want to guide the way you think on that, okay? So let me just make a few points of, of what does it mean when we say, when we read in God's Word, one another. What does it mean? Number one is this. One another refers to the church and not to the world. One another refers to the church and not to the world. In other words, I, I think when, when, 
when Peter's original uh, readers were, were reading what Peter is writing right here, that he assumed that when he said, love one another, be hospitable to one another, serve one another, that, that they thought about that in the context of their particular local church. But I believe from reading 1 Peter that that's what he thought. There's a division that gets made like this throughout the scriptures. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and chapter 4, we read things like, you grow, you're growing in your love for one another and for all. For one another and for all. If you go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 9 through 12. It's talking about the brotherly love that you have for one another. And then it speaks about those who are outsiders. So here's this division being made. Okay, now, now what this doesn't mean is that we don't care about or love people that are in the world. It doesn't mean that. It just means that there's this special calling towards the church, not the world, where you live out these one another's together. Think about some verses with me. Galatians 6.10. Do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. The church and the world do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You see it? You know that you're all the people, the world will know if you have love for one another. One another is about the church, not about the world. So when you think about, when you, when you hear one another, do not think about one another and all the earth. Like we're just going to live out these one another's and all with everybody and everybody and all the earth. There's a place for, for us to talk about that. But what I'm talking about here, when you read it in the scriptures, one another is talking about the church, not the world. Okay? Number two is this. One another refers to the local church and not all Christians. Ooh, that was provocative, wasn't it? Well, let me explain. Don't take me the wrong way. Okay? It refers to the local church and not all Christians is what I'm saying. But let me explain that. Now, obviously, I realize that there are one another's that you can and you most definitely should live out with any Christian in this room today and any Christian that you come in contact with all over the world. I realize that there's no doubt about that. But what I mean when I say that is there's a heightened responsibility that you have with those in your particular local church to live these things out together. There's a heightened responsibility that you're supposed to feel according to the scriptures. Think about this. There's an authority. We, we, this should be some kind of digging back into some stuff we've already looked at in God's Word, Matthew 16 and 18. There's an authority and responsibility among fellow members of a local church that you have with one another that you do not have with any other Christian on the planet. They're not a part of your local church. You say, what do you mean by that? I want you to think about, just think about for a minute, think about church discipline for just a minute. Think about church discipline as an example, okay? Now, Love compels you that any Christian that you meet that is in sin, they're being choked out by sin. Love compels you to rebuke them and to deal with the sin and to chase after them. Love compels you to do that. But as far as authority and responsibility goes, you do not have the authority to go to somebody that's not a Christian, that's not a part of your local church, and take them through those final stages of church discipline. Can you imagine that? They're not a part of your local church, and yet you go to them for their sin. They don't hear you. You take it to the church, which they're not a part of. The church puts them out, and they say, I wouldn't part of y'all anyways. It doesn't work that way. 
So this particular one another of church discipline can, at least the final stages of church discipline, can only be be lived out among your particular local church. So what I'm getting at is there is a heightened responsibility with that in mind that you're supposed to feel for your local church that you don't necessarily have with any other Christian on the planet. Okay. So when you think about your obedience to the one another's of the scripture, I think you mainly or at least first should be thinking about obedience to the one another's towards your local church that God has put you in and given you responsibilities and authority in the midst of. Okay? So let me give you a quick quick examples of that. Sort of sort of, you know, pictures or analogies of that, okay? You've heard me say this before, but I want to put this before you again. Think about all the children that are represented in this room or in this room and in this building today. Think about all the children. I love all of those children. And you should want to care for all of those children. And if one of them is about to trip and fall down and hurt themselves, if you can help it, you run to them and you pick them up. And you don't let them hurt themselves because you care for them. You love them. Love compels you to help every little child that's represented in this building today. But what about my own kids? There, for my own children that are mine, part of my family, there is a high responsibility. There's a heightened authority and a heightened responsibility that I have for my own kids that I don't have for the other children that are represented in this building. That's the way I want you to think about the local church. That yes, we love all and care for all, but there is this heightened, according to Matthew 16, Matthew 18, the keys of the kingdom of heaven given to local churches. According to those things, there's a heightened responsibility you have towards your local church that you don't have anywhere else. One more quick way to think about it. Imagine yourself as, as a pastor of a local church, one of the pastors of a local church. And you have this command that I mentioned a minute ago. It says, it says, uh, you know, is to talking to the people that are under their authority. It says, obey your leaders as those who watch out for your soul, who must give an account for these things. Think about that. So here's a leader that's supposed to be watching out for the souls of the saints, and they're going to give an account to God. Now, if you know that that's true, and you're a pastor, you're one of the pastors of a local church... You're going to care and love all kind of Christians all over the planet. That's what you want to do. But there's going to be this extra feeling of push and responsibility and care and time that's going to be poured out towards those that you're going to give an account for one day. Does that make sense? And what I want to pull everybody in our church into is that I think not just church leaders, but all members of a particular local church should feel that heightened responsibility towards their particular local church. So... The one another's, the one another's of Grace Community Church, when we meditate on these particular one another's today, I encourage you to think about these things in your local church. So Grace Community Church, if that's you here today, most of you are, obviously, that's you, I want you to think about these things, you living out these one another's with, the, with your fellow members of Grace Community Church. When you obey the one another's, in other words, don't let it be vague. You know what I mean by that? Don't obey the one another's in vagueness. You know, like somebody says, oh, I, I love the universal church, whatever that means. I love the mysterious out there somewhere. But, but the question is, how do you love your local church, the people that God's put you in the midst of? How do you care for them? So let's go to the first one another. Love one another. Verse, verse 8 says, love one another. Look at it. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. So first thing we see is how important this particular one another is. It says right there at the very beginning, above all. 
That means this is of massive importance. Do not grow numb to the question. Do you love your local church? Do you, do you love Grace Community Church? Don't grow numb to that. Above all, keep loving one another. When I used to do uh, hitting lessons in, for young baseball players, we would tell them to get their feet set first. We'd get their feet just right and get their bottom half just right. Because if their, if their bottom half was just right, that's their foundation. And the rest of the mechanics of the swing just line up after that. But if the foundation is off, the mechanics of the swing will be off. And so here's the same kind of idea. Loving one another is a foundation. Above all, keep loving one another. Loving one another is the overarching command that all the other commands hang under. Don't miss this. This is a big deal. This is above all. Matthew twenty-two forty says it like this. On these two commandments, it's talking about love God and love others. These two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I present that to you that loving one another in the local church, all the other commands, all the other one another's hang up under that. Colossians chapter 3 verse 14. Listen to Colossians 3 14. This is in the midst of many one another's being mentioned. Forgive one another. Forbear one another. Sing praises to God with one another. Look. And it says, and above, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all these other things that are your responsibilities in the local church, above all of that, put on love, which binds it all together, right? You think about your, your responsibility to live out the commands and not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do you see how love drives that? That when you love one another and you know that, hey, my brothers and sisters are gathering up on Sunday morning right there. Man, I want to be there. I want to know them. I want to dig in. Because you love them, it drives. It's a foundation for all of your other responsibilities towards one another. It's so important. Flip back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see that Peter actually repeats this command in his letter here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Same thing we're, we're saying over here. So this is so important that Peter lays it on again. He's already said, love one another earnestly. And he's going to say it again in chapter 4. Love one another earnestly. This is a big deal. Now if you look at that paragraph in chapter 1, we're not going to dig into it right now. But if you look at that paragraph, the, the way that whole thought flows right here in 1 Peter chapter 1 is you've got God calling us to a place of obedience, a place of holiness, that we might be like obedient children. And then the tip of the spear of obedience is love one another. So it's like in general he's saying he's calling us to be holy as he is holy. That's in general. And to be obedient children, to obey God, that's in general. And then when it gets to the tip of the spear of obedience, it says love one another earnestly. Now we saw the same thing in 1 John, right? You got the obedience test. By this you know that you know him if, if you... If you say you know him, but don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. So you got the obedience test, but then more specifically the test that you love the brethren. It's the tip of the spear of obedience. When God thinks about you as an obedient child or as one that's walking in holiness, the tip of the spear of what he thinks about is your love for your church. 
Love one another. So we see that it's above all. It's very important. Very, very important. We also see the expected intensity of this love. Look where it says right here. It says, earnestly love one another. Keep loving one another. What? How? Earnestly. Earnestly. And that's a Greek word there that means uh, uh, stretched out. Stretched out is the idea of imagine a runner running a race, getting close to the finish line. And then in this intense Last ditch effort, this give it all you got at the very end, stretching out for the finish line, love each other like that. That's the picture of this word. We're not called to a casual, just a casual, sure, I love them. Yeah, I love those folks. But we're called to a bowling, hot, earnest love for one another in this church. Jesus used to, he, he used the phrase, uh, the love of many will grow cold. Has your love grown cold? Has your love grown cold? Don't let your love grow cold. Often happens is people pull away from one another, or there's some sort of, they pull away in isolation, or there's some sort of bitterness that they're letting sit in, and they're not dealing with it. And I say, listen, don't let your love grow cold, but rather let your love be boiling hot for the glory of Jesus in this church. We also see in this verse, in verse 8, we see one of the reasons that this love for one another is so important. Look at it. It says, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Love, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's a quote from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. In Proverbs 10, 12, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses or love covers a multitude of sins. Think about that. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. So here's a sad reality, okay? That inevitably, as we desire to live together as a local church and live together in community, guess what's going to rise, raise up its ugly head? Guess what? Sin. And we're going to sin against one another. There's no doubt about it. we got this keep loving one another fervently because love covers a multitude of sins. He's assuming that we're going to sin against each other. That there's going to be sin in our midst. There's no doubt about it. But that's even more reason, right? To love one another fervently because love will cover over that multitude of sins. So as we, Grace Community Church, go after being a church that lives life together... This is going to happen. And if, if sin is going to, sin is going to boil to the top. And so here's the reality. If we have hearts of hatred toward one another or lack of love toward one another, then what's going to be produced is strife. It's gossip. It's slander. It's putting people away. It's those kind of things. It's going to ostracize people. This is going to happen if there's not love. There's a lack of love in our midst. But if there is love, we gladly look over many offenses. Listen to Wayne Grudem. I love this quote from Wayne Grudem about this verse. He says, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding. And conflicts abound to Satan's Perverse delight. What God's calling us to is to be a church that loves one another, not only earnestly, 
but in such a way that it produces forgiveness of one another and forbearance with one another. Do you need some motivation for that? Do you need some motivation that we would be able to forbear one another even in the midst of our weaknesses and our sins? Do you need that motivation? Let me give you just a couple of things that would motivate you in that. I want you to think about God's disposition towards you. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 1 through 3. It speaks about God as one who holds out his hands all day long to a rebellious people. To a people that walk in a way that's not good. He says, here am I, here am I to a people that provoke him to his face continually. Can you see God like that? That God is the one that in His mercy and in His slowness to anger, that people provoke Him to His face continually, and He holds out His hand still and says, Here am I while I spit in the face. Romans 5 says, God shows His love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God did not look on us and say, Hey, those are some pretty good people. I think I'll give my life for them. I think, I think I'll die for them. That's not what happened. Rather, he saw us as sinful, wretched people that deserve nothing but eternal flames and hell. That's all we that's all we he owes us is eternal hell. And yet, right in the midst of being like that, he lays down his life for us. He dies for us. In love, he lays it all down. He takes our punishment, takes our curse for us. And then we turn in, and you imagine us turning in towards one another. And love one another earnestly. That kind of love that covers a multitude of sins. Now let me be clear about this. I want to be clear about something in everybody's mind. These thoughts of covering sin, forbearance, and forgiveness, they in no way, hear me out, they in no way cancel out the, what you were instructed in last week when Dustin taught about the rebukes of life that should be in the midst of a church. Does that make sense? This idea of love covers a multitude of sins does not cancel out when we see our brothers and sisters in sin that we have a duty and out of love we ought to approach them in rebuke and in correction. And just to prove this very clearly, flip a page or two back to James 5. I want you to look at this same phrase. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Same phrase in James chapter 5 verse 19 and 20. Look at it. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Did you catch that phrase? So what covers, what covers a multitude of sins? Love. Love covers a multitude of sins. But what that just said is when your brother or sister goes astray and you go after them and you go get them and bring them back, that covers a multitude of sins. So guess what I think? I think that equals love. That equals love. Sometimes one of the most, most loving things you can do for someone is to be straightforward and rebuke them in their sin and go get them like a sheep that's gone astray and a shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one. Love one another. Covers a multitude of sins. One more thing I'll say about this. This one another. Peter says here in verse 8. He says keep loving one another. Keep loving one another. So he's exhorting them. He's not saying I don't see any love in your midst. But he's saying keep loving one another. He's exhorting them to never stop. Don't stop loving one another. Do you, do you feel 
Is, is there a warning in your soul that the way that you might have loved Grace Community Church at some point, that you would grow cold and you would love them that way no more and you would disobey God? Is there, is there a warning in your soul that that could be you? It's the same kind of thing in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that anybody writes you for you yourselves have been taught by God. Listen, you've been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers. So you're loving one another, Thessalonians. But listen, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Now I see that. Grace Community Church, I see love for one another in our midst. I see growth in that area that we are loving one another. Now surely there, there are many people across the room that can think of times where you have felt very unloved by the people of this church. Surely that that's, that's there. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, there's many people across this room that members of Grace Community Church, you can say, man, these people have loved me well at some time. They have loved me very well. And I see that. I see care for one another's soul. I see, I see times of weeping with those who weep. I see that happen. I see delighting in one another's company. Brothers and sisters joyfully giving of themselves, their money, their time, their efforts, just giving of themselves. But we have not arrived. That verse just said, more and more. When we compare ourselves to the love of Christ who laid down His life for us at the cross, you ought to be able to say, man, we need to grow. We need to grow in our love for one another more and more and more. So let me just ask you that question to kind of close out this one another. Let me ask you that question. How is your love, how is your affection for Grace Community Church? How's your affections for the church? How's your love for her? Are you growing more earnest in your love? Or is your love growing cold? Self-examination time here. And then another practical question is what are you doing about it? That if your love is growing cold, what are you doing about it to get yourself around the people of God? What are you doing about it to flood your mind with the truth of His Word? What are you doing about it if your love has grown cold? And if your love is earnest, what are you doing to make sure it abounds more and more and more and more? Let's go to that second one another. Verse 9. Leave verse 9. 1 Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, what, what is hospitality? What's, how do we define hospitality? The old uh, 1828 Webster's Dictionary says it like this. The act, so hospitality is the act or practice of receiving and entertaining strangers or guests without reward, but with kind and generous Liberality. That's not, that's not too far from the truth. Maybe biblically, we could just add some things like do all that, that, that uh, bringing in the guest out of love and kindness. Do all of that stuff. Do it for the building up of the body of Christ. Do it for the advancement of His kingdom. Do it for the glory of King Jesus. Maybe we could add some phrases like that that would make it more biblical. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 works to give us some sort of picture of what hospitality is. I'm gonna let me read that to you. Hebrews 13 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now here's what that's not saying. That's not saying, hey, be be uh, hospitable, you might get an angel. 
Not saying that. Okay? What it's doing is saying, don't neglect hospitality. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. He's pointing you back to a story in Genesis 18 where that actually happened to Abraham. Where he was actually hospitable and entertained angels. Okay? So he's pointing you back to Abraham's story as this picture of what hospitality might look like in your life. Now we're not going to go read that, but you should go read that sometime. Genesis 18. Here's a summary. We see Abraham eager, running out to meet his guests. He's eager to be hospitable. We see him in humble service to his guests. We see him bringing his guests into his home and giving them rest and giving them refreshment. We see his diligence and his self-sacrifice. I mean, he went and slaughtered a goat for them. It's pretty good. This is another, this is an example in Hebrews 13. If we can go back and see somebody using their resources, using their home to, to care for somebody in that sort of way. So this is a picture of hospitality. Let me give you another picture in the Old Testament. Turn, hold your place and then turn to Exodus 18. We'll just be there for a second. Exodus chapter 18. I just want to give you a picture here. Old Testament picture of hospitality. You know, in Exodus 18, you got Moses is in a certain place. Moses is in a certain place. And you got Jethro, his father-in-law, is, is, is traveling out to meet him. Okay? And Jethro gets close. And as Jethro gets close, Moses finds out that, hey, Jethro is close by. He's not far away. Look at verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. So you see this eagerness. Moses goes out and hits his father-in-law. He, he, you see this service as he humbly bows down before he begins to kiss him. You see these affections that are there for this man. Good picture of hospitality here. Look. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. I love that. He brought him into his place of he, he brought him into his dwelling place. He brought him into his home. And they begin to ask each other about their welfare. How you doing? How's it going? And Jethro, how you doing? Most, how you doing? What's going on with you, man? They begin to ask each other about their welfare, how they're doing. Verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. So here they are in Moses' house. He's being hospitable. And he says, Let me tell you what God did. When he parted that Red Sea. Keep going, verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done. Look at the result, verse, verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. But you love that picture of hospitality? Bringing him into his home, checking on his welfare, checking on one another together. How are you doing? Let me tell you what God Almighty has done. Man, praise to the living God as they worship together. And at the end of this, they offer sacrifices to their God. It's a sweet picture of hospitality. So, generally speaking, you could define hospitality like this. Using the resources you have to bring others into your life. With a disposition to care for them physically and spiritually. Or to quote an older man that I respect, that, that I saw when he was alive as a very hospitable man. He said, quit using your house like your own personal castle. It's selfish. And I respected that. Use your home to bring people into it, to care for the souls of the saints. Not just selfishly, just for yourself. Now here's what hospitality is not. 
Hospitality is not fancy meals, beautiful homes, and expensive fine china. This hospitality is about contributing to the needs of the saints. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. It puts them together. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is hospitality is about contributing to the needs of the saints physically and spiritually. This is what hospitality is all about. It's about turning your living room into a launching pad for ministering to the saints. The etymology of this word translated hospitality here, it really breaks down to this. It breaks down to a love for strangers. Or it breaks down to a friend. So the word hospitality means uh, in its etymology breakdown is a friend of strangers. Now that puzzled me for a time. I thought, wait a minute, Lord, I know that First Peter is saying that we need to be hospitable to one another in the local church. But the word, the word in and of itself has a, a connotation of, of towards strangers, which seems to me like when I think of strangers, I think of outside the church. So what's going on here? And then it, suddenly it clicked. It clicked. It means that hospitality is not just about you always having your best buds over to the house and watching a football game. That's not what it's about. This is about you breaking out that membership list of your local church that you love and you care for. And you find somebody you don't know. And you get them in your home and you get to know them and how you can pray for them and encourage them in the things of God. That's the picture. Somebody you don't even know. Maybe a stranger within your own local church. How important is hospitality? I'll get you to notice this. Notice what it's in between in 1 Peter 4. Love one another, verse 8, skip verse 9, verse 10, serve one another with the gifts that God has given you. And guess what's right in the middle? Something that most of us would probably never have put there. Be hospitable to one another. What, what is the outflow of our love for one another? Be hospitable to one another. What is, the, what is the ground for which we learn to serve one another with the gifts that God has given us? Be hospitable to one another. This is very very important. I've already mentioned to you three places in the scriptures where it's mentioned. Romans chapter uh, 12 verse 13, Hebrews 13 2, and 1 Peter 4 9. There are more. 1, Peter cha uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 and Titus chapter 1 verse 8. Those are both places where you get qualifications for leaders of the local church. And guess what it mentions in those qualifications? He must be hospitable. He must be one given to hospitality. So the one that's supposed to be the, the leaders of the local church, that are supposed to be examples to follow, they are called, they must be qualified in the sense that they have to be hospitable. Now we don't think like that, right? People, pastor search committees, go out, find a guy that can speak real eloquently, but have no idea if he's hospitable. We don't think like that in our culture, but that's the picture. That it's, a, it's a requirement. To be a leader of a local church. But not even just exemplary men. But even exemplary women. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 10. It speaks about a woman. That every woman here should want to imitate. It's the example of how to end your life. And here's what it says about her. It says having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children. Has shown. Listen. Hospitality. Has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. This is important. Exemplary man, exemplary woman that we are to follow, both of them called to be hospitable. Last thing I'll say about the massive importance of this command in verse 9 of hospitality. 
It is a command of God. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, a, a southern tradition. This is a command. You, you let it land on you that way. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's a command from the Almighty. That makes it very, very important. Why is it so important? I just mentioned a couple of things. It's important for our own souls. When I think about every believer, every member of Grace Community Church walking in the means of grace, and one of those being the church of Jesus Christ, that God is using your hook into the body of Christ to grow you. When I think about that, I think about several things like Hebrews 10, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So I think about somebody that's hooked in the church. They're there when we gather on Sundays. They're there at their particular Bible study that they're hooked into. And then I think about this third thing, hospitality. They're living out hospitality. People are in their homes there and other people's homes to the glory of God and for the edification of their own soul. So one reason that this is so important is for your own soul. Second reason is, is just because of the church as a whole. Think about a care for the church as a whole. Hospitality is important for people who have hearts like Paul. Paul said this, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. You imagine that heart. Man, I'm concerned for the church. Man, I love the church. What should I do? Get them in my home. Bring them into my life. Hospitality is important for people who have addictions like Stephanus. Listen to 1 Corinthians 16, 15. You know the household of Stephanus that they have addicted themselves to the service of the saints. Hospitality was important to the early church that we see as an example. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together... And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food. You see this? Received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, day by day, those who were being saved. So, Grace Community Church, let's be a people that our deep, earnest love for one another overflows into invitations into our homes, into our lives to know each other and build each other up. That's the picture of 1 Peter 4, 9. Now, it tells you, before we move on, it tells you a way to do it. It says do it how? Without grumbling. Without grumbling. This means he's calling us to hospitality without grumbling, without complaining. Hospitality without whining. Or to say it positively, it's hospitality from the heart. Hospitality of full of joy, glad hospitality. It's that sort of hospitality that he's called us to. Now, the fact that Peter could have said anything. He could have just said, be hospitable to one another, show hospitality to one another, and that's it. Or he could have said, show hospitality to one another three times a week. Now, he could have said whatever he wanted on the end of that phrase, but he says, be hospitable to one another. How? Without grumbling. What can we conclude from the fact that Peter thought it necessary to put that in there, what can we conclude about hospitality? We can conclude that sometimes it will be hard. Sometimes it will feel undesirable. Sometimes you will feel too tired or too busy 
Or it'll just feel like this thing just feels unprofitable. And these are times when you need to pull from the resources, not of your own weak strength and your own puny wisdom, but you must, you must pull from the resources of God who has all strength and power and all wisdom and walk in what He calls you to. Think about you thrusting your mind in those moments when it feels hard and you want to grumble or you don't want to do it at all. Imagine pulling from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What we're talking about here is looking to God and trusting in Him that we might walk in Holy Spirit-filled hospitality for the glory of His name. I long for that for us as a local church. Now what can motivate you to something like that? What can motivate you to do hospitality from the heart without grumbling? What can motivate you like that? I asked my kids that last night. We were talking about this passage of scripture last night in the family. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you guys think can motivate us to do it without grumbling? And one of my kids said, God was hospitable to us. I said, amen. That's right. God was hospitable to us. That's the motivation. You think about it. I want to read a verse to you. Ephesians chapter two. This is, this is what we were like. This is every single one of us. Ephesians two twelve. Remember, you need to remember this. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's what we're like, separated from Christ, no hope, without God in the world. Isaiah 59 two says your sin has separated you from your God. You're not at home with Him. You're not in His dwelling place because you're a sinner that's broken His commands and deserve nothing but His wrath. Kicked out from God's presence like Adam and Eve. Out of His presence, not in His presence, not in His home, but out of His presence. And then Christ Jesus comes to save. Christ Jesus comes as a rescuer. The sin that separates us from God, He goes to the cross for it. He dies in our place as a substitute on the cross so that we can be set free. And guess what happens to all of those who come to Christ Jesus in repentance and faith? Guess what they get? It says it like this in the Scriptures. Brought near. It's near to God, into His home. Brought near by the blood of Christ. Or another scripture says it like this. The dwelling place of God is with man and He will dwell with them. Can you imagine that? We get to go and see God be hospitable. As he, we, because we're in Christ Jesus, because Christ died for us, we get to dwell with Him. Jesus said to those who follow Him like this, He says, he says as for me and my Father, we'll come to Him and we'll make our home with Him. Revelation 3.21 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into Him and dine with Him. So here, God has been hospitable to us. And then we pick it up and we turn and we take that love for one another, that hospitality toward one another. We live out what Christ has done for us. Hospitality is vital for Grace Community Church. Vital. Very important. Let me give some practical suggestions here. I got four quick practical suggestions. All right. 
about hospitality. Number one is this. Get a plan. Get a, get a calendar. Break out that membership list and get after it in your local church. The local church that you love and you care for and you have this responsibility for, get out a calendar, get a plan. How are you going to do it? Talk to your spouse if you have a spouse and make a plan to get after it with hospitality. Let there be a regularity to it. Just a regularity to this. Not, I mean, are you obeying 1 Peter 4 9 if you do it once a year? I think everybody in the room would say no. But if you walk in hospitality, there's a regularity to this where we go after, you know, a, a time a week, a day a week, or, or a couple nights a week, or three nights a week, whatever you see. But make a plan. Get ready to be hospitable. I, I want you to know this that texting, if you're a member of Grace Community Church, it is totally legal for you to text another member of Grace Community Church that you don't even know. That is totally legal. And if they turn down your hospitality, just text them back and say, sorry, I didn't mean that for you. Just kidding, don't do that. But you get what I'm saying? Like, it's totally legal for you to do that here. That you text somebody that you don't even know that's a member of Grace Community Church. Maybe, you know, how are you going to do this? What's your plan? Are you going to focus maybe on your particular Bible study, you know, and you focus in there and you really go after hospitality with those people that are there? Or maybe you have somebody from your own Bible study that you're the closest to and you kind of pull them in and you talk to them and say, hey, man, who's somebody we don't know real well that we can invite to come and have dinner with us this night? And you pull them in, whatever. Just how can you do this? Get some sort of plan. Number two is this. Be intentional with this. You must be intentional about hospitality. Hebrews 13.2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality, which tells me there's a tendency for us to neglect it. I heard somebody call it psychological gravity, just like gravity. I let something go. I don't have to make it go down. It just, that's the nature of it. It just goes down to the earth. Gravity, psychological gravity. If we are not intentional about hospitality, we will neglect it. It's just naturally what we'll do. Number three practical thing is this. Quit stressing out over a nice looking house and fancy meals. Kick, kick, kick the kids' toys in the corner. Paper plates and pizza. That's what matters. All that matters. What matters is that you get in their lives. You know, how can I pray for this man and woman? How can I love them? How can I care for them? How can I share the word of God with them and encourage them and build them up? Quit worrying about things that don't matter. And then last practical suggestion would be this. What about those that don't have homes? Maybe you don't have a home. Maybe or What I mean by that is maybe you live in a dorm room or something and you feel like, and I'll come to your dorm room, by the way. But, but if you live in a dorm room, you feel like, oh, I can't have you in my dorm room. You can still, anybody, you don't have to be married, you don't have to have kids, you don't have to have your own house, you don't have to have your own apartment. But, but there's ways that you can live out the spirit of this hospitality as you pull people. Into your life. Think about meet me at the park, meet me at the coffee shop for, you know, buying pizza and take them to the park, something like that. But living out this spirit of hospitality where there's a regularity to it, there's even a plan for it that you have in your life, week in and week out. I encourage you to obey this. Alright, last one another, we'll be here a little shorter, is serve one another. Look at verse 10. 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. This is to be our postures toward one another, Grace Community Church. It's a posture of servant, service to one another. We're servants toward 
one another. Serving one another as Christ has served us. Mark chapter 10 verse 45. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Imagine Christ, the King of glory, humbles himself to the point of a servant to even lay down his life a humiliating death at the cross. And how much more should we, his servants, serve and humble ourselves, stoop down towards one another? Think about what are the needs. Think about service to your local church. What are the needs at Grace Community Church? How can you, what are the needs and how can you meet the needs that you see in the church? How can you do that? Now, if you say, yeah, I don't know about any needs at Grace Community Church. If you say that, I refer you back to the first and second one another. Love one another and get them in your home because you don't know because you don't know them. Get them in there. This is how you know them. You get around them and you, you begin to know the needs of their needs of encouragement, training needs, financial needs, emotional needs, loneliness, discipleship needs. There's all kinds of needs. Needs to, to share the gospel with somebody. Needs to teach somebody how to go share the gospel with somebody else. Needs physical all over the place, all over the map. How can you meet those needs? At Grace Community Church, our strategy is people, not programs. That's why these things are so vital for us. We, we go after not programs that you can hide behind and still not walk in these things. But it's people. That's our strategy. The people of God. How can you serve the people that are on that membership list that you have? It says in verse 10. As each has received a gift. I want you to think about that. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As each has received a gift. Let me tell you this. We find out our gifting through serving one another. We don't find out our gifting to serve one another. We find out our gifting through service to one another. Uh, spiritual gifts are, according to 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts are for the profit of all. They're for the profit of the church. It's not about you alone. It's, a, it's about the building up and edification of the church as a whole. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. And therefore, the way you find out how you're, you're gifted to do that is you bury yourself in service to the church. And the way God puts his hand on that reveals what your gifts are. You do not find out your spiritual gifts through a spiritual gift test. You find that out through serving one another and see how God puts his hand on it. So the, the, the encouragement there is get busy serving one another and let God distribute his gifts. Another thing about this, it says, as each, verse 10, as each has received a gift, each has received. Grace community, every member of Grace Community Church, and really anybody that's in Christ Jesus, but I'm speaking mainly to my brothers and sisters of this particular church. Listen to me. Each has received a gift. Be encouraged by this. You have been equipped by God to do everything that I'm talking about right now. The question is, are you going to believe that or are you not going to believe it? Are you going to let Satan discourage you? Are going to believe the lies about it? Are you going to believe as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. God has equipped you for this. And be challenged by this. Each has received a gift means each. It means each member of the local church. Every single one of them. Nobody gets to sit the bench on us loving one another, serving one another, being hospitable to one another. It says at the end of that verse, as good stewards of God's very grace. Think about that. God is glorious. And His, His grace 
is varied. It's, it's manifold. It's not singular, but it's manifold. Imagine all these beautiful colors working together in unison. That's like the grace of God. It's manifold, varied grace of God. Now, how does God take his varied, multifaceted grace? How does he put it on display on planet Earth? How does he do that? He does that through the local churches. They serve one another and they're gifted to serve one another. They love one another in hospitality to one another. They build each other up. That Through that, God puts on display His manifold grace. That is bad news for the long ranger Christian that says, I don't need the local church. It's bad news for them. Because this is the way that God does it. And I believe it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Verse 11. And we don't have as much time to spend here, but I'm going to just read it and just say a couple of things. Verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We don't have time to sit there, but I encourage you to know how to do that. How do you serve in such a way that it's really God serving through you? How do you do that? Why? Why? In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so this verse reminds us that our commitments to one another and our pursuit of deep relationships with one another is not ultimately about me or you or us. This is ultimately about God's glorious majesty. This is about Him being put on display. This is about His glory. God has always done that. He's always been about raising up a distinct people for himself, for his glory. Think about the nation of Israel. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 11 about the nation of Israel, that people of God. I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they, that people of God, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise and a glory. God has always been about doing that. The church of Jesus Christ, same thing. Ephesians, let me flip to Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to verse 10 about the church of Jesus Christ. So that through the church, through the church, this is the people of God raised up. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. We've got the manifold grace of God. Now we've got the manifold wisdom of God. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly place. This was according to the eternal purpose. This is what God has done. God has manifold wisdom. Manifold grace. And he displays it. Puts it on display. Through his church as they live together for his glory. Verse 21. Same chapter says. To him. To God be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. So Grace Community Church. Let's. Love one another deeply and earnestly for the glory of God. Let's be hospitable to one another for the glory of God. Let's serve one another with all the gifts that God gives us. We figure that out along the way for the glory of the Almighty. That's what we're going after together. Amen. GCC. Amen. Let me give one more little practical advice here. If you're not there, turn back to 1 Peter 4. Practice so we. We've obviously spoken about many, many practical things, okay? I want to mention one more little practical thing right here at the end in closing. One more practical thing. I want to encourage you to do something. In response to what I'm telling you today, there's a lot of ways you need to respond, okay? A lot of ways you need to respond in your local church. But listen, 
I want you to respond by praying, regularly praying through the membership list of the church. Regularly praying through the membership list of Grace Community Church. All the rest of what we're talking about flows out of you faithfully praying for the church. Let me show you that in 1 Peter chapter 4. So we started in verse 8 where we had three one another's, right? Laid out for us. Go back to verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So rooted right there is this for the sake of your prayers that you might pray to the living God. And flowing out of your prayers to God for your local church through that membership list, flow these other one another's. And I encourage you to think about it that way. Think about what that membership list is. If you're part of Grace Community Church, you have a list that's sent out to you every time new members join. You think about what that list represents. That represents the people that you love, people that you love and you care for. It represents people, the people that you exercise the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose with on planet earth. That's the people that you exercise that with. That represents the people that you have that kind of authority with and responsibility for. That, that's the people that that represents in that membership list. And you imagine yourself praying for them. And out of that flows love for them. Your affections are stirred back up for these people that you love. You imagine praying through that list and seeing somebody. Man, I hadn't seen them in a while. I know they're going through a hard time. And you give them a call. You shoot them a text. You say, hey, will you come over to my house? We want to have dinner on Thursday night. We want to spend some time with you. We want to encourage you and pray for you. You imagine just springing out of that, praying through that membership list and walking out these one another. That's where you learn how to serve one another. That's where you learn how to love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this. I pray, God, that you would help us to live it out. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone in your commands. That you don't expect us to be able to perform anything in the flesh and in our own strength, God, because we know that we can and you know that we can. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you have motivated us, that you, Lord Jesus, have laid down your life for us. And that you've empowered us by your spirit to live out the things that we talk about today. And so, God, I pray for Grace Community Church. I pray, Lord, that you would build her up for your glory. That you would cause each member to dive into serving one another, God, and that you would do just what you say, that you would gift your body to love and serve and care for one another. God, I pray that you would fill our church with Holy Spirit-filled, wartime, missional hospitality. Fill us with that, Lord, for your glory. Thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.